Accelerating Careers in Real Estate with Nick Carman. Brought to you by McDonald and Company. So this evening, I'm sat with Jenny Gardner, newly appointed Director of Development and Construction for Brookfield's life science business, ARC. Now, Jenny's joined from Jonas Line, where she was responsible for the life science project delivery in London. But she hails from the US, working with the likes of Univale and Alexandra Real Estate Equities. So Jenny, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Well, let's get us started, shall we? Tell us how chapter one begins. I'd say that it starts in the years leading up to university where you try to decide in your youth and your coming of age of where you want to be in your future. And with that, I would say that, you know, I I was raised in rural America. I was raised in a small town in in Tennessee where, um, you know, the career professions that you start to consider as you're coming of age and start to think about your future are things like a teacher, a doctor, a firefighters, you know, similar things that you would have thought of when you were in your childhood. <laughs> you know, my five-year-old son says all the time, like, I want, yep. th- today I want to be a scientist when I grow up and t- tomorrow I want to be a firefighter. Soccer player, astronaut. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> and it never really changed, you know, for my, for all the way through my, my teenage years, because, you know, where I was raised, it was a pretty small town and there weren't a lot of options from a professional standpoint. So, you know, I I hung my hat on being a doctor from when I was 13 and held on to that all the way through to applying for university. So, you know, I started out university as uh, a pre-med student um, for no good reason, to be completely honest. <laughs> besides, besides there was something I, yeah, my parents didn't, they were, they were supportive. My parents are great and I've always been really supportive. You know, I was born uh, a very ambitious child. I mean, my parents said stubborn, but I, <laughs> it's translated into ambition as I've gotten older. But I think my parents were always supportive, but never, no pressure and no, no real uh, vision of what they saw my future being besides wanting to support me in whatever I wanted to do. So it, I was sort of on my own to figure that out. So I, I think it's, I think it's sort of interesting because I wasn't, I wasn't born wealthy. I was born to fairly working class parents and. And uh, and when I compare myself these days to other working professionals, a lot of them seem to come from pedigree educations and pedigree backgrounds. And frankly, I just didn't have that. It just wasn't my life. And, and, and it's not the life of a lot of people out there. So I'd like to say that I'm an example of, of I guess, what, what I used to think of as an American dream and, and perhaps now <laughs> a transatlantic dream. I'm not really sure anymore. <laughs> great, great. So what led you then then to this uh, ambitious sort of Tennessee uh, uh, early pre-med student into the world of commercial real estate? So I, I, my freshman year of university, I, I quickly learned <laughs> that uh, the pre-med perhaps wasn't the route for me. I was on my own for the first time away from my parents. And, and uh, I also had a very dear friend pass away from leukemia, which sort of brought my medical ambitions to a, to a halt, to be honest. It's not a, not a, I'm not sure I'm cut out for it. <laughs> and then I, I, I went through a, a soul searching process, I suppose, of, of what next, if I'm not going to be a doctor and who am I going to be? And, and I sort of went through my own inherent skill set. And, th- you know, at that time, all I could think of was I'm fairly good at communicating. <laughs> I can speak, I can write, I can, I can uh, carry myself quite well. So I ended up reorienting myself into a, a communications degree, public relations, and you know, ultimately thought that perhaps I would go and, and work for the Peace Corps or something of that nature and still try to do some good for the world, but not in the medical profession. 
anyways, graduated with that degree and started to try to figure out the next steps. I was 21 at the time, I suppose, and I didn't really have a clear path. So I got in my car and then and, and drove to San Diego on a on a little bit of a dream and <laughs> of the Wild West and and what the Southern California life could be. And um, my parents agreed to support me for a few months while I tried to sort that out and figure it out. Uh, and then I I just because I had that pressure of not having support within three months, I blanket applied for pretty much any possible job I could. Ended up interviewing and 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 landing my first job with a, a very small company called Vera Alliance Properties and an admin position because I, when I was in university, I'd been a, a teller at a bank. So I was pretty good with math and they needed someone to help with their admin and, and accounts payable, et cetera. That tiny little real estate developer of 14 people happened to be focused on life science. Um, so that was sort of my entry into, into the world <laughs> and, and it was essentially no looking back from there. Well, and that teases up quite nicely, Jenny, because I met, what I mentioned in the, uh, at the start is you end up going to work for the Goliath of the life science industry, this £25 billion life sciences sort of REIT. How did you go from David to Goliath? <laughs> we were acquired. So I, I worked for Alexandria for three years, uh, slowly working my way up the, I guess it wasn't slow, actually, starting to work my way up the ladder. Like I mentioned before, I was quite ambitious. I was constantly looking for ways to, to insert myself into bigger and better things. Um, so I I'd already... I'd, sort of moved into the, the development department within the company. And three years later, we were acquired by Alexandria. Um, and then they moved me again into the development group as an ass- assistant project manager at that time. So it um, was pretty a natural thing for me, a pretty easy transition. I think it, some people didn't like it, <laughs> but I was new and young and ambitious and, and excited to learn and grow and to be a part of something bigger and, you know, and learn about the stock market and all the different things that came along with working for a publicly traded entity. So it was a, a really good opportunity for me to, to grow professionally. Now, at this really early stage in your career, I am curious as to what made you stick it? You know, because you, you hadn't you hadn't studied real estate before. You know, you've got a very, very open uh, sort of background there was so equally there's no barriers to what you could go and do thereafter is there why stay in commercial real estate and life science in particular I think because of the life science angle it gave me something to really sink my teeth into you know I don't I often say that I don't think I would work in real estate if it weren't for life science um, it gives me it gives me meaning for my my career progression you know you know in some way hearkening back to the days that I thought I would go and save the world, whether via a doctor route or the Peace Corps, it still gives me some level of comfort knowing that I'm in my own little way aiding this industry that I find incredibly dynamic and, and worthy of, of the time and effort that, that I put into it. So there was an awful lot to learn. <laughs> like I like we mentioned, there's I didn't know anything. So I didn't know how to work in a professional environment. I didn't know what the stock market was. I didn't know what real estate was. I didn't know what, I didn't. I didn't know how to read construction drawings, <laughs> so I would sit in meetings for with for hours, construction meetings with really talented architects and engineers and you know real estate professionals, and sit there and, and work through plans and secretly be taking notes on my computer so that I could go back and Google some of the terms that they were throwing out because everybody else in the room knew what they were talking about and I didn't have a clue. <laughs> um, but I was eager and hungry and 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 just you know ate it all up to be honest. It. It was not an easy time in my life, but it was really, really fun for me. 
so ordinarily, Jenny, when I when I'm listening back to these stories and previous guests, you know, I I think about periods where people have been really accelerating and they're they're learning so much and absorbing it like a sponge, and then there comes a period of consolidation where they're putting this into practice, but a small number of people almost seem to leapfrog that and just find ways to extend that learning journey. Which one of those two do you think best describes you in this earliest chapter, Alexandra? I would say I took it and I put it into practice. I mean, I had several big rungs of the ladder that I climbed while at Alexandria, some because one of which was because my direct line manager, you know, had health problems and and I it, there was an opportunity there again. Not that I necessarily was trying to take his job, but I ended up having his job by virtue of there being no one else to do it. Um, but that in itself was another big learning experience for me. Um, in some ways, taking accountability and responsibility far before I was perhaps ready for it. But I did grow into that seat very quickly. And then I would say that, you know, at the point that that next step could have stagnated, once again, there was a big shift within our company structure wherein I no longer had a line manager at all. And I was instead running parallel aside a colleague that was that was on par with me. So and then the two of us started managing other employees and started bringing up different different sections of the company and, and you know providing more strategic input into the company's objectives. So it just continued to get challenging in different ways. And I was growing in different ways, but not getting bored, if, if that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah, of course it does. Now, to, um, uh, whilst we've got an awful lot of listeners in the in the US, I'm sure there's lots of people in the UK who are less familiar with Alexandra, um, or particularly those outside of life sciences. Just give us a bit of a feel for what types of projects were you involved in now? Sure. So um, <clears throat> Alexandria focuses exclusively on life science projects, certainly in San Diego, where I was. Um, I think they have some agri-tech and some other tech stuff up in the Bay Area. But where I was, it was all life science, i.e. research and development laboratories, all commercialized spaces. So scale up companies, you know, up to 180,000 square feet of, of very complicated CL3 tuberculosis testing facilities for the University of California. So um, very complicated, high-tech spaces, uh, clean rooms, and and the like. Alexandria takes takes it to the next level in that they have millions of square feet of space all within within each different cluster region, and they really look at it holistically. and And a lot of what I particularly did was focusing on the the more niche areas, i.e., floundering assets, ones we couldn't let out, ones we couldn't pre-lease. And how can we put our own spin on it and turn it into something really incredible that's story worthy and, you know, take something that, you know, we took an old newspaper printing facility and converted into a big 70,000 square foot amenity center um, and just just trying to get creative and, and do some fun things for the life science industry, which previously just hadn't been done. I think that a lot of times you look at life science companies in ways that you think of it as this really sterile hospital like environment and and we put a lot of time and effort into getting the design to a place to where, you know, it, it didn't feel like that, <laughs> to where it was a place, you know, we thought of scientists of people and thought of thought of ways in which we could uh, enable this industry to 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 really thrive. And, and you know, it was incredibly successful. OK, OK. Well, then let's tell us a bit more. Then. So what, what do you think you were ideally looking for then in that, in that next step? And, and And how did it come about or how did you create it? It's a good question. 
I think I was, I, you know, in an ideal world and what I would have loved to have found was essentially my same job, the same company, but slightly different structure and slightly different, I guess, managerial structure, but the same type of work. Because like I mentioned before, I really do care. My heart and soul belongs in, you know, this world providing space for life science companies. And, and I wanted to be in that space. Unfortunately, my contract with Alexandria did not allow me to go and work for a competitor for two years. So when I left, it was a it was an odd time time for me as an ambitious person. I I didn't want to take a take a break by any means mm-hmm. of the word. Um, but I also couldn't go and do exactly what I wanted to do. So I ended up um, I ended up taking a role with Westfield, a director level position with Westfield uh, Unibuy today. They they had just gone through the merger when I joined. Because in San Diego and in Los Angeles, where I covered properties, um, both of those properties are just outstandingly beautiful. <laughs> they have got a really high design threshold. They had positioned, started positioning themselves as a mixed-use company, which I thought was quite interesting. Mm-hmm. Having, like I mentioned before, studying all the different amenities and all the different ways we could accommodate commercial um, life science companies. We often talked about amenities, retail, leisure residential, all the different things, and almost had started started operating ourselves in a in a mixed use capacity. But and I thought I would be able to get something similar from working at Westfield. Um but well, go on, you t- you, I was gonna say you teed us up there, right? So, uh, tell us <laughs> tell us more. Uh I you know it's it's funny because I, I took the role. I, I really enjoyed the 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 man that actually I interviewed with and that ended up hiring me. I, I really enjoyed uh working with and for him. I wish that I had done a little bit more homework or a lot more homework, I suppose, taking my time to really better understand, I guess, the culture at Westfield, to be honest. They're, they're a different, completely different animal to, to, to what I come from in that, you know, they're, they're a very big company and the people there that I worked with, and in, in my experience, I should say, were very much in silos. And in the way I work and the way I experience the world and the way I learn is not siloed. And I had not previously been kind of stuck into a into a, a silo previously in my career. And so it was it was shocking to my system. <laughs> I had a coworker tell me within the first three months to, you know, stay in my lane. And I think that that was sort of a, a slap in the face to me as someone who had, didn't operate in that way in the, in the slightest so it was a struggle, to be honest. It, it was interesting, and I'm glad I learned about uh, retail and, and what it means and what it doesn't mean and how difficult it can be. I enjoyed the team there. I enjoyed the team that was working for me. Uh, I, it took some time in a managerial role to, to slot in and develop relationships with people that are working for you, especially when they've been there a lot longer than you have um, and perhaps are not the same sex. So that took time, and I do think I worked my way through that. But I think fundamentally that the company was at odds with who I wanted to be in in my future. And I think, you know, I'm not sure I had a whole lot of choice because I couldn't have gone back into the field that I wanted to that quickly. So what I think is so reassuring, Jenny, is when you describe this, is that people who are listening to to the pod, it's easy to assume that people like yourself have have got to the places they have because everything has just fallen into place or or it's just gone right. But I think it's really important to restress them. People like yourself have got to their places despite it, despite problems, despite obstacles. And sometimes that's that's also been a real sort of gift. So I think that's really, really, really sort of helped the way you sort of describe that. But we're still in the US, aren't we? 
and and you and I now are chatting now we're in the in the UK so tell us a little bit more about how that transition sort of came about and 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 what was what the results of it sure so I, I think I'm like a lot of people in the world uh, in the last few years <laughs> that my life was pretty dramatically affected by COVID you know I was actually on maternity leave with my second child in February of 2020 when the world came crashing down. <laughs> so it was a really interesting time. And I know everyone has their own personal story, but I mean, I, was, I wasn't I was actually working at that time. I had four months off. And in that time, obviously, I was working in, in retail, not tremendously happy, but, you know, I was obviously sticking it through uh, maternity leave, et cetera. And during that time, I started laying off my team <laughs> I I went from a team of five to I think a team of two. They added another asset to my to my responsibility list. And and frankly, I when I was at Westfield, I was I was a manager. I was a director. I wasn't actually a doer. So I hadn't actually done the things that I was managing people to do in that world because it's not where I started my career. So I was getting quite nervous about going back. I did go back for a couple of months, eased into it a bit. It was really rocky. R- retail was a really bad place to to be. It was really doom and gloom. And then my uh, my father-in-law, who is uh, British, actually, here in the UK, uh, was diagnosed with cancer. So, you know, it was sort of a, a line in the sand for us to say, it's time to make a change. We're ready. I wasn't happy with my career anyways. My husband's company said they would transfer him. So we got really lucky and decided to make the trek across the, across the pond. So I left my career there on a, on a dream that I'd be able to find something new here quickly started getting behind my computer and seeing what was available and obviously very quickly researched life science because it's where I wanted to be, never wanted to leave, and was so happy to see that it was growing and thriving. <laughs> well, I was going to I was going to ask you what was your first impression? Uh it was music to my I I just I can't tell you how happy I was. <laughs> that I that the that the industry was it was in its uh infancy, you know, the commercial life science business and huge government backing behind it and uh you know buzzworthy if you will words and you know which had been around in america for a long time but it was really exciting to me to find out that people were getting excited about something that i've been i've been dreaming about for for years and years so um i was absolutely thrilled to to have the opportunity to get myself in front of some other people like-minded people and see if there was something i might be able to to uh, add to the to the uk's progression of this really cool industry so did a whole bunch of homework on on the who the players were in the industry at the time, interviewed with several of them. Obviously, because I'm coming from America, my skill set and especially in development is, is quite different here. There's a lot of differences between the way things we did there and the way things we did here. So I sort of needed someone to teach me, take the time to teach me those things so I could actually be impactful here. And I also needed some more exposure to the the broader scene, if you will. And I interviewed with a, a number of different companies and and JLL was the best place for me to to get the best full picture of the industry and um, also work with some really interesting people. They're really good people <laughs> there. Um, and they were they opened they welcomed me with open arms and and I was really lucky to, to have found a home there as my jumping off point in the UK. So it's good. <laughs> Really good. Now, uh, I'll bring in a little bit of the research we've done so far, so Jenny, because you know, you know, beforehand, we love to, love to do a bit of background checking. Um, and I, I asked someone who'd worked with you very, very closely during this time about how how you made the transition. 
and maybe sort of what traits they thought were really, really important in order to make to to see that you you made this so smoothly. I'll tell I'll tell you what they said. One of Jenny's greatest strengths is how cool and calm and collected she can be in the, in the face of real challenges. Um, and I can definitely get that. Yeah, now listening to you about how you tell these stories and how you sort of how you make sort of quite light work of uh, of some really big sort of challenges. If I could ask you a, a slightly yeah you know, the opposite question, what makes you lose your cool? Mm, good question. <laughs> I I don't know anymore. To be honest, I I I'd like to say I in my younger years I really was always worried about being exposed. I think, like I mentioned before, I didn't come from a background of a, a lot of my industry career professional uh, peers came from uh, engineering backgrounds or construction backgrounds or development backgrounds or, you know, wealthy dad backgrounds, if you will. <laughs> and I don't have that. So I think um, I was oftentimes uh, overcompensated to to not be exposed. So I was constantly panicky about it, to be honest. And I think I think as my years have progressed i've gotten a lot more confident in my own skill set and 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 and, i mean i'm able and willing and happy to tell people very upfront that that's not my background and and i am who i am and my and i know what i know but there's lots of things that i don't know does that Um, ever leave you exposed out of curiosity yeah there's yeah yeah, there's a there's a common phrase right yeah sort of fake it till you make it yeah it's being too honest a downside not anymore no no, I don't think so. <laughs> I stopped. I stopped. I gave up on that uh, years ago. To be honest, it, it doesn't work for me. I don't like faking it, and I'd much rather just be open and honest and say I don't understand. Especially after moving from country to country, because if there are things I don't understand because it's a language barrier or just different terminology, it's one thing. But if, if things are actually done differently here than they are in America, that I need to know that. So I have to be upfront with it, and I I don't want to fake it. <laughs> And maybe it's a quick learning exercise. Maybe it's a longer one, but it's. Uh, I think it's actually one of the best things that I've I've learned as a more senior level person these days is to just ask and to say when you don't know because that's almost the most validating thing you can do. Yeah, I guess I don't know what makes me lose my cool. To be honest, maybe public speaking here and there, <laughs> <laughs> depending on the day. Some days I'm fine, some days I'm not. And you know, there's working for a new company now that I that I'm at Arc and just making sure that I that I am speaking properly for the the people that I'm speaking for so oftentimes I will be I my role is to go out and speak for the entire development group and for the entire company and because I'm a newer person I'm I'm weary that I might get it wrong and I don't want to do that <laughs> so that makes me nervous but again I, I'm you know aware of it at least to a point that I'm doing my homework and trying to be really careful around those topics okay well let's get let's go back then to, to Jones Lang there's something I, I wanted to ask you You've you've spent the entire and it's certainly in the UK it's unusual. You spent your entirety as the principal, as the client, haven't you? Until now, until yeah. until you joined Jones Lang, how easy was that transition? Not easy, <laughs> not easy at all. To be honest, um, what was it? What do you think was the biggest challenge? I think that the the way the service industry is structured versus the way that the principal in- industry is structured are so fundamentally different. The way that they profit is different. The way that they, I mean, a fee generating uh, entity versus a, a, you know, NOI industry, (laughs) it's very different uh, motivators, very different culturally, um, very different 
pushes and pulls and, you know, the bottom line just, it, it varies, if you will. I, I often said that my time at Jones Lang was sort of a, uh, a round peg in an oval hole. I, I understood life science and, and they're very eager to understand what I know um, from my background. And I think they often, you know, I had a coworker once tell me that I was essentially their secret weapon because I would just sort of tether myself to the capital markets team or tether myself to the leasing team or tether myself to the different groups and, you know, just add the, the color, but I never really fit into that service industry and that my skill set and my knowledge and, and my abilities aren't really um, productable. <laughs> if that's a word, it's probably not a word, but you couldn't really, really create a product that could be sold out of my skill set, to be honest. So it was always a bit of a, a struggle and it was not, I don't think that they minded so much, but psychologically for myself, I minded because I, I had a difficult time figuring out how I could decide my self-worth and, and how valuable I was when my skill set wasn't, didn't fit within their feed generating uh, framework. If, you, okay. if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it does make sense. And I wanted to bring in, again, another one, a bit of our research here and ask you a question on this. So another person who'd worked very closely with you over the years um, mentioned about one of the things you love to do, which is sort of prioritise growing talent within your teams. And I wanted to ask you something about, about that, essentially to say, how do you weigh up the project needs versus the people or the team needs? How do, you, how do you know when to give someone their first shot but mitigate the risk of it of it compromising, whether it's a client or a project result? I think giving someone their first shot at things is always I don't know I don't I don't find it that hard to be honest. I think that it, it was it was more difficult <laughs> at Jones Lang because of that whole client relationship and the, the potential exposure to, to a client and mm-hmm. You know, being shot down. Obviously, when at Alexandria, where we were the client, it was a different story. And, and where where I'm at now, when you are the client, you're allowed to make more mistakes. <laughs> but you know, I think that you know, at Jones Lang, there are a number of people that work there. The 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 more junior, not even junior anymore, but they've all been promoted, I think, since I left. But they were they were deep diving into certain areas of the industry and did their homework and knew their roles and knew their places and. I was quite happy for them to be the resident experts. <laughs> like I said, I don't always know the answer. I, my my skill set is that I'm confident and, and people tend to listen to me because I have an American accent and, you know, it works in the life science world here. But there were certainly people there that knew more than I did about certain certain specialties of the life science sector, i.e. Uh, manufacturing, if you were, were one of the, the, the girls there had done so much homework on that industry that she absolutely should be the one. <laughs> That's speaking in front of clients about that particular type of, of work and that particular trade. So I, I think it was actually quite natural to me. If you do the work and you do the homework, I shouldn't be the one speaking about it. You should be the one speaking about it. Okay. Okay. Well, listen, you we've, we've teased people long enough, right? With what's with what's sort of coming next. Um, tell us tell us more about the uh, this your latest gig now with uh, Arc. <laughs> So I, you know, as I mentioned before, that the round peg overhauled situation at JLL, I was, um, I was actually not looking for another job. I thought that I would stick it out. I was getting a lot out of being there and the exposure to the industry and, you know, feed generator generating or not, I was um, still providing a lot of value. Then I was speaking um, at an event and um, Stuart Grant, who is the CEO of, of ARC, actually heard me speaking at this event and and messaged me directly afterwards asking if I would if I would get lunch. <laughs> uh, 
I I wasn't sure what he wanted or, or exactly why, because he obviously he was a client of ours. Um, so certainly I would happy be happy to give him work and to to provide services for the for Arc. So I had lunch with him, and and it didn't take halfway through the lunch before he asked me if I if I perhaps should be better suited on the principal side of the table, and and it was almost like he had read my mind. <laughs> I don't know if you met Stuart or not, but he's quite the good salesman. Um, <laughs> <Yes>. So. <laughs> We had a, a number of conversations. It, it took some months and, and some going around about exactly where I might fit because I didn't actually, I think, have a job at that moment that, that suited me. But they they did some digging and, and you know, took some of my words verbatim and wrote up a job description and and uh, made up a title and <laughs> and found a home for me. So it, it all worked out really well. And it's, it's sort of a... Um, a role that I think is, is sort of custom custom created for me, but also fills a need that they had at, at Harwell specifically, where, where we've got loads of development coming forward in the next five to 10 years. And, you know, as a relatively nimble team, previously four people, now five of us um, there to deliver it, millions of square feet of space. So they did have a need um, in that arena that I was able to, to jump in and fill. And then they also are enabling me to get that exposure to the strategic side of the company. So 25% of my my role is really just doing that, working on the strategy, working with Stuart, working on public relations, working on the messaging and all the other things that I think are really important. And in some strange way, harken back to my university days, <laughs> um, which is sort of interesting that it's come full circle when I didn't think I would ever use that in a million years. So Jenny, now we've, now we've covered the present day. I want to start now moving to look a little bit in the future. So one of my favorite questions I get to uh, I get to ask uh, whilst doing this is, you know, has your idea of success changed from in the earliest part of your career to the middle to where we're at in the moment? Uh, yes, is the answer. <laughs> um, absolutely. I would say that in my earlier days, you know, I, I remember saying things like I had this lofty goal of of doubling my salary every five years. <laughs> and I used to walk around the uh, the ultra wealthy places, ultra wealthy neighborhoods in, in San Diego and and pick out which house I thought was going to be mine. You know, in a lot of what I thought that I wanted was power, power and money, I would say, <laughs> were sort of my two biggest drivers. And that was from my early days and, and largely- You and I both. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean, that stuck with me, I think for a good, piece of my life, I, certainly through to having children. Um, and I know that it's, it's, it's a bit cliche, but they do change everything, um, as, as I'm sure you know. And priority shift, and while my career is still, and you know, there was a brief moment where I thought, maybe, I'd, maybe I'm not as ambitious as I thought I was. Maybe I'm not that person. I had a bit of uh, sort of a, an identity crisis, and, and it was scary, to be honest. I was like, this person that I've been for for as long as I, my entire life, all of a sudden, do I do I really want that, or, or should I be reevaluating, you know, my drivers and and my my success markers? And you know, I'll say that they came back. It was it was a temporary blip, if you will. But uh, I certainly am fully back into the ambitious mode and and see myself moving forward in a, in a big way, leaps and bounds. However, like the and I do intend to make money, but I no longer think that I that I need to be the ultra wealthy. It's not that's not the primary driver for me. 
these days because I like I mentioned before I'm so engaged in this industry it's how much of an impact can I make on this industry how much of a, a change can I make in my own way and you know what what is my legacy is it buildings is it master plans is it uh, the strategy of, of Harwell and, and you know the future of, of this giant thriving machine of a of a campus or is it you know the 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 health and 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 prosperity of arc the the entity or or future or or other you know or some other um future endeavor but it's much more holistic and 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 i guess more fuzzy than it used to be there's no longer a double my salary every five years motivator <laughs> and i no longer need a castle in the sky um but it's much more about what impact i can have in 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 real life and, and you know what i can what I can tell my children someday besides mommy made a bunch of money um, <laughs> and, and something that I can be proud of, to be honest. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. Um, well then let's, let's, before we wrap up, I want to get one more question in given sort of what our research said about, you know, your interest in growing talent. Now I wanted to, I wanted to ask you about something about your own sort of learning. So what's been the greatest learned ability? You, you had to what's the what's the the greatest the lesson that you you've had to teach yourself during this career I think learning how to navigate from from being you know young and ambitious and, and a doer and someone who I, I, I always said I heard everyone ever said give it to Jenny and she'll actually get it done to being a thinker and a a, a manager if you will and a more strategic strategist um was not easy it's it's a difficult transition to make to pull yourself out of out of the weeds and, and to rise above and to start thinking about things differently and to looking at other people's skill sets and how they might be able to assist you in that and to and to ultimately be more successful as a team it's it's definitely not something that you can learn by reading i don't think <laughs> it's definitely an on the job skill set that that takes some thought process and some self reflection and and some letting go in a big way of, of things that, you know, historically I would have held on to um, really near and dear to my chest and being able to let go of those and give them to, to other willing and able individuals so that I might be able to, to step up and, and to look broader at the picture. So I'm sorry, Jane, we've got to wrap this up at, the, uh, at some point. But not, not only have I learned more about sort of life sciences than, than from you, I've also learned a little bit more in terms of sort of what Ark's doing and, and also in terms of uh, how to get the best out, out of that, that career without without um, necessarily having to, to um, focus on those castles in the sky. So listen, Jenny, thank you very much for giving us the time. I have really, really appreciated it. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon.